Exodus chapter number five and verse number one. If you found it, say praise the Lord. I mean, I'm actually preaching a two-part message today and uh, planning to preach part two tonight. But if you don't say amen and help me, I'll just preach them both this time and come up with two more for tonight. Exodus 5 and 1, and afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I want you to look at somebody and tell him he's the God of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. The God of Israel said, let my people go. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint me to preach. I pray, God, that the power of your spirit would rest on this house and that you would confirm your word with signs following. God, I don't only want your anointing to preach, but I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit would say. Accomplish your purpose and plan in this service this morning, Lord, and have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated this morning. Thank you for standing. God is eternally tied to Israel. He referred to them as his chosen people. The prophet Zechariah spoke for the Lord and called Israel the apple of his eye. I will tell you today that God is not only tied to the people of Israel, but he's tied to the land itself. There is something about the land of Israel that once you've been there, you understand spiritually what doesn't make sense naturally. In the natural, it is a rugged, often barren stretch of land, a very small nation. It's not particularly unique in its topography, but you can easily drive across the whole country from north to, north to south in just a few hours. Yet there is something intangible about it, something that unless you've been there, it's hard to really describe. And I'm not just doing a commercial for our trip that's supposed to happen next year, but, but, uh, but, but there is something unmistakable that happens when you've been there. You feel a longing, a closeness, a homesickness that, uh, that you don't necessarily feel anywhere else. I have traveled the world. I've been in religious buildings of all kinds all over the world. Back in April, we went, I went to uh, Egypt and we baptized a pastor in Jesus' name. And on that trip, we were there about 30 hours, but on that trip, I, I got to touch the pyramid, the pyramids that were a reminder of their worship of pharaohs back thousands of years ago. In Nepal, I went to a temple where monkeys were revered and worshiped. I've been in Catholic churches all over the world where there are statues of men that people pray to. In, 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 uh, in Rome, there's a statue of Simon Peter that over the years, over the centuries, people have kissed the toe of that statue that if he were to come down off that pillar, he'd have to limp the rest of his life. Yet the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, is set apart from all these gods worshiped. 
there's one, this one true God said, you don't make any image of worship. In Deuteronomy 11 and 18, he said, don't make any image. That's why you look around the church. We don't have crosses here as decoration because God said, don't make any graven images. I don't want you to worship an object. I want myself to be the object of your worship. He was the God of Israel, and he didn't want anything diverting their attention away from him. The phrase God of Israel is used repeatedly in the Bible. It appears 203 different times in the King James Version. God is not at all ashamed to be known as the God of Israel. We are introduced to the character named Jacob in the book of Genesis chapter number 25. A boy is born, the youngest of twins, and this boy is given the name Jacob, which means supplanter or heel holder. In our culture, names don't always mean very much. I had a friend, and I think I might have told you this before, I had a friend whose wife was a public school teacher, and she had twin boys in her class. One's name was Lamangelo, and the other was Orangelo. When you look at it, it's orange jello and lemon jello. Names in our culture don't mean very much, but in that culture, it meant everything. And that particular name described the character of Jacob. It meant that he was dishonest, a cheater, a liar, untrustworthy, a schemer, and a conniver. And for the first part of his life, he certainly lived up to the reputation. He was, in fact, a liar, a cheater, and a schemer, and a conniver, dishonest, one that you could not trust. The word Israel, however, is introduced first in the book of Genesis chapter number 32 and verse number 28. That word is spoken after Jacob, the supplanter, the cheater, had wrestled with an angel all night long. In Genesis 32 and 28, the Bible says, and he said, the angel speaking to Jacob, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, everybody say prince. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men hast and hast prevailed. The word Israel there has a powerful meaning. The word literally means God prevails or God is victorious. It refers to having power as a prince. As a prince you have power with God. So when God changed the name of Jacob from the supplanter, the cheater, the liar, the conniver to Israel, what he was saying is my relationship with you has just changed. You were Jacob. You were the liar. You were the cheater, the supplanter. But now you're a prince. And because you're a prince, now you have power with God and man. I am the king of the universe, and now you're my son. And you have power with God and man because I have called you a prince. Amen. You have access now to my kingdom, to my power, to my resources. You are now no longer Jacob, but you are Israel. You have prevailed. You have got the victory. You're no longer what you were. Now when people attack you, they're attacking me. And when people curse you, they're cursing me. And when people bless you, they're blessing me. 
We are no longer only in a master-servant relationship, but now we're in a king-prince relationship, a father-son relationship. And so now you are not Jacob any longer, but now you are Israel because you have had hand-to-hand combat with the angel of the Lord, and you have prevailed. My mind pictures Jacob wrestling with an angel in the darkness of night. I can almost see the perspiration on his forehead as his determination refuses to let go. He is relentless in his passionate pursuit of the blessing of God. No one ever before or since has had hand-to-hand combat with an angel and lived to tell about it. God changed his name to Israel that day, and he became a prince to the eternal king. In the Bible, the Bible is the story of the great heroes and champions and of the king of glory. You have in it the story of men and women who were not just average, ordinary in their faith, but there was something extraordinary about them. The Bible is the story of great heroes and champions. It's page after page of bravery and faith and virtue and strength. Amen. We think about Samson who stands against the Philistines and wields nothing but a donkey's jawbone and heaps of Philistines on his right and on his left. In my mind, I can almost see the piles of the enemy. We, in my earliest memories of church, my mind would, would consider these Bible, these larger-than-life biblical characters, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Joshua, overcoming enemies and kingdoms, trials as they lead God's people to their promises. When I hear the stories, my mind, it, my mind makes a picture of what I can imagine it would have looked like for Abraham as he walked with God or Isaac as he laid on that altar. And I, my mind can see in, in, uh, the, the idea of what it must have looked like for Moses to stand on a rock overlooking the Red Sea and hold out his rod and the waters begin to part. My mind, it pictures the story of Deborah and Gideon and Samuel and the power of God as God would move Elijah and Elisha and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets and men and kings that would do the work of God. And as the Old Testament gives way to the New Testament, the names change, but the acts of faith are no less awesome. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Philip. And on it goes, the Bible revealing the stories of the victorious power of God. Amen. Can you say amen this morning? Time doesn't permit me to even mention about Noah and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Josiah and Timothy and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and on and on it goes as we think about the things that God has done for his people. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is filled with stories of the champions of the faith, winners, heroes, 
conquerors to the degree that we would be tempted to believe that the Bible is full of nothing but supermen and wonder women who have nothing but powerful faith and glory. But we must consider that of all the names that I've mentioned, I've mentioned less than 40 names, and, I've, and by speaking of prophets, I've encapsulated maybe a 100 others. So when you think about the whole scope of human history, I've referred to less than 150 men and women out of the thousand years, the thousands of years of humankind being on this planet and such a small handful of men and women whose lives were worthy to be written in God's book. Israel himself was an anomaly. Of course God wouldn't be ashamed to be called the God of Israel. Who wouldn't want to be the God of a man who hand-to-hand wrestled with an angel and defeated him? Of course God would want to be known as the God of Israel. Amen. I've got a friend whose son is a is a Division I level football prospect. And I've seen nothing for years but this man posting videos and pictures of his son in football uniforms and running and doing all that stuff. But you know why? He's proud of his son. He's not ashamed to be the father of that boy based on that boy's ability being beyond what almost every other boy in the world's ability is. Are you with me? Of course he's proud of his son. Who wouldn't be proud of a son that runs that fast, jumps that high, hits that hard, scores that many touchdowns, tackles that many other? Of course he's proud of his son. And of course when I think about God, why would God not be proud to be the God of Israel? I am the God of the man that laid his hands on an angel and all night long the angel couldn't get loose and the angel couldn't get free. Of course I'm the God of that kind of a man. Amen. Nobody posts pictures on social media of their failures. Nobody, nobody ever showed, posts a picture of their fail. Now, if you see a picture of failure on social media, somebody else posted it. That's right. My wife didn't post a picture of that lawnmower tied up in the swing set. That was me. I got a reminder a few, that, 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 that that was my most liked picture of the year that year. It was my favorite too, but it wouldn't have been if I'd have been the one that done it. Of course God wants to be the God of Israel. Of course he wants to be the God of Israel. Israel laid his hands on an angel, and the angel had to beg him to be let go. Of course God would want to be known as the God of Israel. Who wouldn't want to be associated with such a champion? Who wouldn't want to be associated with somebody with that much power and that much determination and that much grit? I would expect that God would want to be aligned with Israel. But Israel, that doesn't describe me at all. I would like to think that if given the opportunity, I wouldn't let go. But I've let go before in lesser situations. You don't want to hear me preach this morning, do you? 
I'd like to think I'd run up to a giant like David, but I've run away from lesser things than Goliath. I'd like to think that I would stand and not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I've given in to lesser temptations than that. I would like to think that I would charge the enemy with nothing but a donkey's jawbone, but I've had chances to charge lesser enemies with more weapons, and I didn't do it. Of course, God wouldn't be ashamed to be the God of Israel, the prince who has power with God and man. There is something about the God of Israel that I want to remind us all about today. That when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, he didn't forget about Jacob. He said, you're a prince, you're victorious, you have power with God and man, but I'm not going to forget about when you were weak and when you were a dishonest, untrustworthy, heel-holding liar and cheater. God changed. Now listen, this is, the most, this is the crux of the message. You have to get this point to understand any of it. God changed his name, Jacob's name, to Israel in Genesis 32 and 28. Everybody say Genesis 32, 28. Before Genesis 32 and 28. God never said, I'm the God of Jacob. Seven verses of Jacob's life. Seven verses of Jacob's life, and God never said, I'm the God of Jacob. He never said, I'm the God of Jacob, until after he changed Jacob's name to Israel. After he changed Jacob's name to Israel, then all of a sudden, God gets this idea I've, I've got to also remind people that I'm not only the God of Israel, but I'm also the God of Jacob. So 25 times after the name change, God refers to himself in the Bible as the God of Jacob. The God of Israel is also the God of Jacob. The God of Israel is the God of the hero. The God of Israel is the God of the champion. The God of Israel is the God of the successful, the awesome, the strong, the amazing. I am the God of Israel, but I also am the God of Jacob. I haven't forgotten about you when you were weak and tired and broken and weary. I haven't forgot about you when you had issues and problems and trials and tests. I didn't forget about you when you were untrustworthy and frustrated and disappointment. As a matter of fact, it was in that condition that I looked at you and decided that I'm going to take you from being Jacob to being Israel. Oh God, I want to preach this morning. God help me to preach this morning. The God of Israel would look proudly at the exploits of the champion, but the God of issue, the God of Jacob, looks at men and women that have issues and weaknesses and says, I don't love you any less because you've got trials than I did when you had victory. I don't love you any less with your faults and failures and weaknesses as I do when you're on top. Let me just tell somebody that God doesn't quit loving you when you're struggling because he's still He's not only the God of Israel, but he's the God of Jacob. I don't always feel like I can do all things through Christ. 
Sometimes I feel like I can't do anything at all. I feel like a failure more than I feel like a champion. I feel like a loser more than I feel victorious. I feel frustrated more than I feel faithful. I feel weak more than I feel strong. The God of Israel wouldn't be interested in me because I've got too much failure and too much weakness and too many struggles. I wrestle with failure. I don't wrestle with angels. I wrestle with frustration. I'm not wrestling with angels. I'm wrestling with weakness and temptation and trial. I'm not wrestling with angels. The God of Israel wouldn't not be at all moved by my problems and my trials and my struggles. But the God of Jacob, he looks at me when I am weak and when I am tired and when I am frustrated and when I am struggling. The God of Jacob doesn't just throw me away when I'm not measuring up to what somebody else thinks I ought to be. Now look, I understand the God of Israel would be so disgusted by my problems. He, wouldn't, he, he, he shouldn't give me a second, second thought. I know I'm preaching to perfect folks. So you just let me preach to me then. We carry our burdens and our shame and our weakness and our sin. We look at other people and think, man, they are so awesome. They're so powerful. They're so holy. They're so wonderful. And me, I, I, know, I, I know I raise my hands in church like I got it all together. But when my hands are up in church, half the time I'm thinking about how messed up I am. Come on, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm reading somebody's spirit today. I come to church and I get all dressed up so I look like I got it all together. But in my heart, I know I got stuff that if God doesn't show up and help me, I don't know how I'm going to keep my sanity. I don't know how I'm going to make it. We come and we sit together as a family on a pew and we look like we got it all, the perfect little house. But we, when we go home, we got struggles and frustrations and trials. And I'm wondering how long we can all keep it together. The God of Israel wouldn't be concerned with me because when I lift my hands, I feel like a hypocrite because I know the struggle I I've had all week and the God of Israel wouldn't be concerned with me because when I'm clapping my hands at the same time I know I'm fighting the devil for every for every second of my life the God of Israel wouldn't be interested in me because when I come to his house and I act like I'm a worshiper in my heart I've got fear and I got worry and I got shame and I got guilt and I got apprehensions and I don't feel at all on the inside like I'm trying to look on the outside But he's not only the God of Israel, he's also the God of Jacob. Jesus was known by, by wonderful names and titles. He was wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, healer, deliverer, master, the son of God, the son of man, the alpha, the omega, the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the almighty. But can I tell you that none of those are my favorite name for Jesus? You want me to tell you what my favorite name that the Bible gave to Jesus is? You can find it in Matthew 11 and in Luke chapter number 7. Uh, they used it as an insult. They tried to insult Jesus by giving him this name, but Jesus never denied it. Here's what they said. Jesus, they called him a friend of sinners. Woo. 
The God of Israel is the God of the champion. The God of Israel is the God of the victorious. The God of Israel is the God of the giant killer. The God of Israel is the God of the Philistine slayer. The God of Israel is the God of the angel wrestler. But Jesus is the friend of sinners. Hey, I'm glad that the God of Israel is also the God of Jacob. He's a friend. He's a friend of sinners. Uh, anybody that needs a friend, anybody that's not perfect ought to wave their hand or clap their hand or lift their voice and say, thank you, God, because you're a friend of sinners. Mm. Oh, God. Glory to God. I'm trying to talk to the person today that's hiding behind a suit and a tie. But in your heart and mind, you feel so unworthy to be in the presence of God that half the time you don't want to come to church because just showing up puts you under conviction. I'm preaching to the person that you try to, you, you got your hands raised and you're clapping your hands like everybody else. But in your heart, you feel so far from God and you even feel ashamed to ask him to look because you know all the mess that's been going on. I've come to tell you the God of Israel is also the God of Jacob. And he picked Jacob out when Jacob was a mess. It was the prophet Jeremiah, the distressed prophet of God that cried in exasperation. And he asked this question, is there no balm in Gilead? And is there no physician there? Is there no medicine? And is there no doctor? Is there anybody that can help me? I've got a sickness that there's no medication for. And I need a doctor that can do what there's no doctor around that can do. It was 700 years after the words of Jeremiah when Jesus stepped out and they began to chastise him for caring about people that others looked down on. And he said, the whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I didn't come to be the God of Israel right now. I didn't come to the ones that have no issues and trials and problems and circumstances. I haven't come to the people that live in a perfect house with a perfect life and a perfect everything. I've come to the sick, to those that have issues that need a physician. I've come to the ones that need my help, that know they got issues. He proclaimed that he came not to those that had it all together, but I came to the lost sheep. Not the perfect one, not the one that's perfectly secure and safe. I've come to the one that's wandered off and is all by themselves. The one, I came for somebody just like you. Jesus Christ was anointed of the Spirit of the Lord. His works and words were the evidence of the power and Spirit of God. He walked on water. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad he could walk on water? When he walked on water, what he said is the laws of nature don't confine, don't confine me. I understand that the amount of weight that goes on something has to, has to be able to be displaced by what's underneath it. And if that weight can't be displaced, then the thing will sink. But Jesus said, I'm not held by that law. I can change the laws of nature. I walk on water. I can, whatever, whatever is natural, whatever looks like it's impossible. When I step out, 
all things can happen. So he walks on water. When he walks on water, he's challenging all the laws of nature. And then he cures, the, he heals the sick. And he says, I know what the doctors can do and can't do. I know what diseases and viruses can do. I know what bacteria can do. I know what it is to have a body that's broken by sickness, but I also know that I'm more powerful than any virus, any bacteria, any sickness, any disease. And so I healed the sick because not only can I walk on water, that's one thing, but I also can change the matter in somebody's life. Not only that, but then he raised the dead. He takes somebody whose body has given up life and he takes life and puts it back in the body and he declares that I even have power over death. So I have power over nature, I have power over sickness, and I have power over death. And not only that, then he casts out devils uh, and he makes it clear, not only do I have power on the earth, not only do I have power over your sickness, and not only do I have power over your body, but I also got power over hell and the demons of hell. In other words, I've got power over every realm, uh, over every dominion, uh, over everything that could trouble you. If it's on you, under you, in you, or around you, I've got power over all of it. Uh, I've got you surrounded by my power. If it's in you, I can heal you. If it's around you, I can deliver you. I've got power over every area of your life. Everywhere he goes, there's power, signs, and wonders, all by the work of the Spirit. Everybody say it was by the Spirit. But my question is, why was that Spirit on him? Why was the Spirit on him and not like it was on others? He says in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Society puts people in classes, but the Spirit says, I'm here for the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. People want to avoid people who are broken, but not, not me. That's why the Spirit's on me. To preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus was given the Spirit in measure because the brokenhearted needed a healer and the captive needed a deliverer and the blind needed their sight and the bruised needed freedom. To say it plainly, he was anointed because the world was full of people like us. The God of Israel is for the victorious, the champion, the one who has it all together, the one who never messes up or has bad days or fails or gets frustrated or has bad moods. I didn't expect any amens there. The God of Israel is for those who out-wrestle angels and bring down giants. But for the rest of us, he's also the God of Jacob. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, Paul got a revelation. He said in 12 and 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. What God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you don't see me at my best when you're at your best. 
Paul, you see me at my best when you're at your weakest. My grace isn't only sufficient when everything's good, but Paul, my grace is sufficient when you're weak. And then Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. He says, I know that when I got problems, that's when God's with me the most. Anybody want me to finish preaching? I know you want me to finish because you're hungry just like me. Psalms 34, 17, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. How many feel like you're close to God when everything's good? When you get a blessing, you get an unexpected blessing, a check in the mail, somebody hands you some money, you get a good doctor's report, something like that, and you feel, man, I am blessed of the Lord. Like Sister Cantaloupe said, I'm blessed of the Lord and highly favored of God. Oh, I feel that when things are going good, but here's what the psalmist said, the Lord is nigh them. They're of a broken heart. You gotta be careful how you treat people who are suffering because God's closer to them than he is anyone else. And if you wanna offend God, offend God. The Lord is nigh them that have a broken heart. So if you have a broken heart today for any reason, I just want you to know that God is right there next to you. He's, he's close to you, he's right there with you. You're never closer to God than you are when your heart is broken. He's next to, that word means allied to, those that are of a broken heart. The word broken there in the Hebrew, it's, it means crushed. The Hebrew word literally means a heart that is about to burst, to break, to explode. God said, that's the kind of person that I'm close to, the people whose heart is broken. Aren't you glad that the God of Israel is also the God of Jacob? One final passage, the book of Psalms, chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present. Man, I like that phrase. I don't know what very present, I don't know how you can be very present more than just present but a very present help in trouble. Anybody ever have any trouble? You don't have to, I, I know I'm dealing with issues this morning that you don't want to admit and you don't want to raise your hand and, I, and I'm not asking you for that. I'm not asking you to, to stand up and say, I'm a mess, my life's a mess, everything's broken, I, I, it's falling apart, I don't know what to do. I'm not expecting you to stand up and say that, but I hope that you are identifying what, what, with what the word of the Lord is trying to tell somebody. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though our hearts be removed? Anybody ever feel like your heart's been ripped out? Though the earth been, be removed, everybody feel like the world, your world's been ripped out from under you? Though the earth be removed, everything I stood on is gone. I feel like I got no solid ground to stand on. 
Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, what I thought were my high points are now all the way brought down. It's collapsed. The world has collapsed under me. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, the seas that I, the seas of my life are, are, are roaring. They're, it's like a storm. And the mountains say, it's so violent that the mountains are shaking with the swelling thereof. And then it throws this little word in. Selah. Selah is an interesting word. Y'all are quiet, but I'm not going to quit. Selah is an interesting word. It's actually a musical word. Psalms are songs, and selah is a musical term. The word selah means to stop or to pause and to think about it. Stop and think about it. It seems to be an interesting place for God to say, okay, I want you to stop and think about this. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? He's talking about how messed up everything is. The, the earth removed out from under you. You're in trouble. The mountains are thrown into the sea. The storms, the, the seas of your life are roiling and tossed. It seems like a bad place to say stop and think about how bad everything is. Right? Amen? Right? He said, "You just stop and think about all the chaos going on. It doesn't seem like a good, good spot to say stop and think about it. And then he goes on, there is a river. In the midst of all that mess, there is a river and the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. There's hope in the midst of your mess. In the midst of all your trouble and your earth being pulled out from under you and everything in your life being shaken, there is hope. For gladness, no matter how bad it is, there's hope for gladness. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Let me tell you, there's a benefit to being in the church. This generation, this world has decided that they don't want the church and they don't need the church and the church is this and the church is that. But if I was part of some of those churches, I'd feel that way too. But I'm going to tell you that the tabernacle of God, God has chosen his church to be a place for hurting people to come. It's a place for broken people to come. It's a place and in the church there is a river that the streams, has anybody ever come broken and found gladness? Has anybody ever come with issues and found that there's a river of joy that flows? I've seen people, pardon me, I'm not trying to cuss, but I've seen people going through hell on earth that can come to church and in a moment of lifting their hands and worshiping God, the stream, the river of God begins to move and joy in the midst of their trial. Begins. There's benefits to the church, brothers and sisters. Why, why? Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. God shall help her. I've come to tell somebody, God's going to help you. If you refuse to be moved, God will help you. If you refuse to give up and backslide and go back to your sin, God will help you. If you refuse to pick up worldliness and carnality and unholiness and you won't be moved from righteousness, God will help you. If you'll be faithful, God
God will help you. If you'll be a worshiper, God will help you. If you'll be a prayer warrior, God will help you. I want you to look at somebody and tell them God wants to help you. If I had more time and I, and I wasn't trying to get to my, my end point, Brother Patton, you know one thing I'd tell people is I'd tell people, look, God wants to help you, but you got to help God. Amen. Can you throw that last verse back up again? God wants to help you, but you gotta, you got to not be moved. You got to quit being unfaithful every time something in your life goes haywire. You got to dig your feet in the house of God and you got to stay. I shall not be moved. If my husband quits coming, I won't be moved. If my wife quits coming, I won't be moved. If my parents backslide, I won't be moved. I refuse to quit. I refuse to stop. And if you won't be moved, God will help you. Oh, I'm telling somebody you got to plant your feet in the house of God and you got to stay. Can I go on just a couple more verses and I'll be done? The musicians can come to make you feel like I'm hurrying. Verse number six, the heathen raged. The heathen raged. The ungodly, the enemy. Rage means to make a loud noise. One description in the Hebrew is like a hum that you can't get away from. Anybody ever have a noise like a hum that you can't get away from, like this, a sound? You're like, like, like you hear like, almost like a ringing in your ear. Amen. There's some people right now that I just reminded you that you have it. You're welcome. You ever have that where there's just this noise that you can't seem to get away from, this hum? He said, when the heathen, when your enemy has this, anybody ever feel like you have constant noise from the enemy reminding you, I'm still here, I'm not letting you go. I'm still here, I'm not, I'm not giving up, I'm gonna get you. Anybody ever feel that from the enemy? Always that, that heathen raging, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna get you. You might be away for a little while, but I'm getting you back. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. The enemy uttered his voice in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. There's not a whole lot in that passage of scripture that may, would lead me to believe that God is with us. Trouble, the earth removed, the waters roaring. There's not, in, there's not much in that passage of scripture that makes me feel like God is with us. So how do you know that God is with us? You know it by faith. The God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. He throws that phrase in there just to remind you, I'm the God of the struggler. I'm the God of the weak. I'm the God of the broken. I'm the God of the imperfect. I'm the God of the one who doesn't have it all together. Is our refuge. And then he says, Selah, stop. And think about that now. Some people only stop and think about the negative. Brother Patton, I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody today or not. 
I think I might be preaching to an audience of one, and it's me. Some people only stop and think about when it's the list of all the bad things going on. Amen. Never had a marriage counseling session where people were at each other's throat and they come in telling me good stuff about the other one. It's just nonstop. You'd think they can't even tie their shoes right. Everything's messed up. Everything's messed up. Never had them come in and say, well, they do this, 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 and this good because their mind is only stopped and thought about all the negative and all the bad. Never had anybody going through a trial that came in and said, God woke me up this morning. Praise the Lord. God gave me breath today. Praise the Lord. God let me live. God let me live long enough to get here. Praise the Lord. It's always this is bad and that's bad and this is bad and that's bad. And that's human nature to stop and think about the things that are going wrong. And we often do that, don't we? Don't we often stop and think about all the stuff that's going wrong and all the negative? The earth is, is removed. The waters are roiling. I'm in trouble. All, and, and we stop and we think about all the negative, but we never stop to think about the fact that God, the God of Jacob, is my refuge. The God that understands how weak I am and how broken I am and how messed up I am has allowed me to hide in him. Amen. And then God says, now stop and think about that for a minute. While you're thinking about all your troubles, stop and think about how good God is. And when you're thinking about all the stuff that's against you, think about how God is for you. When you're thinking about all the financial trouble, just remember that the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. And the psalmist said, take a moment and stop and think about what God has done to bless you. I've come to challenge somebody. you got to rearrange how you think today. I'm trying to get somebody to rearrange your mental outlook that you've been focused on all the negative and all the terrible and all the problems. But you must remember that the God of Israel is also the God of Jacob and he's with us in the middle of our trial. I got to stop and I got to think for a minute that if God wasn't going to make a way, he'd have let me be dead a long time ago. And why out of seven billion people on the earth did he let me be here today? To hear that he's the God of the broken and the wounded and the struggling and the weak and the weary and the, even the ones that mess up, that he is the God of Jacob. And he told me to stop and think about, stop and think about why you're here today. Because God wouldn't let you go. And with all the ups and downs and trials and tests and all the mess ups and all the weakness and all the times that you thought you had it together and then you messed up again. And you thought you were going to do better. And you woke up planning, I'm going to do better today. And by the time you put your head down that night, you had done a Jacob thing again. But the God, God says, I'm not only the God of Israel, the victorious, the champion. I am also the God of Jacob. Stop and think about it. As your eyes are closed all over this place, I'm preaching to people that you know there's some stuff in your life that you need the God of Jacob. I don't just need the God of the pastor today. I don't need just the God of the bishop today. I don't just need the God of all the saints today that got it all together and have it all figured out. What I need today is the God of Jacob. 
looks at somebody that's broken and says, I'm nigh them that are of broken heart, that looks at somebody that knows they're a sinner, and he says, I'm a friend of sinners. I'm the God of the one whose world's been ripped out from under him. I'm the God of the brokenhearted. I'm the God of the one that's made a mess out of everything they've ever tried to do. I'm the God of the one that everybody else feels doesn't deserve anything. I am the God of the one who needs me today. That's what he wants you to think about. Don't hide behind your pew. Don't hide behind your Pentecostalism. Don't hide behind your outfit. Don't hide behind your praise today and try to project the image. I got it all together, all good. I don't need anything. I'm all right. Pastor, I'm good. You're not preaching to me. You're preaching to them. Let's not hide behind any of that. And let's stop and think about the God who is a friend of sinners, nigh them that are a broken heart, and the God of Jacob, the broken the imperfect the one that thinks things he shouldn't think says things he shouldn't say acts in ways he shouldn't act that's whose God I am I'm not ashamed to be counted with the people with issues and trials and troubles I'm not ashamed to be the God. Look, you can say, well, that church is full of hypocrites. Thank God it is because he's the God of the hypocrite. Come on, the altar's open. There's some folks that hadn't moved yet. You're supposed to. God's pulling you to an altar. He's wanting to wrap his arms around you and embrace you and let you know that he knows your struggles, but he's still your God. He knows your mess-ups, but he's still your God. He knows your weakness, but he's still your God. He knows the problems that you're dealing with. And you don't have an answer, but he's not ashamed of you because you don't have the answer. He's still your God. He's the God of the weak and the weary and the trial, the tried and the tested and the tempted. He's the God of the weary, the wounded, the imperfect. God of the one that's carrying the heavy burden today. And you prayed and prayed and prayed and it still hasn't been fixed, it hasn't gone away, but you still, here you are, God, I'm here because that preacher told me. That you are still the God of the tired. Come on, anybody dealing with any of those issues, why don't you just lift your hand to heaven right now? In your imperfection and your struggle, why don't you just say, God, I'm going to let you be the God. I'm not, going to try, I'm not going to only make you be the God of my Israel moments. I'm not only going to make you be the God of when I'm on top, but I'm going to let you be the God of my weakness today. I'm still here, God. I'm going to worship you. Even with my trial and test, I'm going to worship you. When I don't know what to do in my insecurities, I'm going to worship you. 
because God you said you were nigh them to have a broken heart so God here's my heart God I'm just going to give it to you God I'm just going to let you have it right now I'm going to let you have my brokenness today I'm going to let you have my weakness my insecurities come on if you're not praying if you don't need the God of Jacob today why don't you find somebody who does and why don't you put your hand on their shoulder why don't you wrap an arm around them? Why don't you just let somebody know you're there with them? In the name of the Lord, why don't you just be, be the hand of God for somebody who needs the God of Jacob today? I'm glad he can walk on water, but I'm glad he's close to the brokenhearted. I'm glad he can heal the sick, but I'm glad he's a friend of sinners today. I'm glad we're going to have some God of Israel moments, some victory moments. But thank you, God, because you're with me when I'm not victorious. And you don't throw me away when I'm messed up. And you don't turn your back on me, God, when I'm weary and weak. You didn't forget that I was Jacob. That's right. Find somebody to pray with. Somebody needs the God of Jacob today. Somebody needs the God of Jacob. They need to know that God's eyes are still on them. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, I'm a mess up, but you're the God of the mess up. God, I'm weak, but you're the God of the weak. God, I'm troubled, but thank you, you're the God of the troubled too. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Run to him and hide in him today. God, I pray in the name of the Lord for your spirit to move in this altar right now. Oh God, I pray for the Holy Ghost to move here, Lord. God, I pray for your spirit to move on the women and the men and the young people in this altar today. I pray, God, be the God of Jacob in Bethlehem today, Lord. Oh, that's right. Come on, church. It's time. God wants to do some healing work here today.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful word of the Lord we've heard this morning. Can you say amen to that? What a wonderful, wonderful word. I'm, I'm encouraged this morning by the word of God. Can you imagine, and some of you do know exactly what it feels like to go through a week without having the Word of God in your life before you came to God? Can you imagine going back to that? I I can't imagine not having the Word of God in my life on a regular basis. Amen? What a great, great word from the Lord we've heard this morning. Don't forget about all of the things that are going on. Uh, We've got... Just a couple of weeks, our Christmas programs, those things coming up. Be back here tonight, 5.30, 6 o'clock for prayer, 6.30 for service. Aren't you glad to see Brother Hall and Sister Tiffany? We love these folks. All of our other guests, if you're a guest here today, give our guests a great big hand here at Bethlehem Church. You're not a guest, but one time, that's it. Then you're just part of us. God bless you. Shake hands. Be friendly. Be back this afternoon tonight for another great time in the Lord.